Welcome into the Purple Podcast post-Thursday night football. And I would like to just start out Judd Zolgad saying that that was not the most memorable football game I've ever covered. I will not remember this when you ask me one year from now that it happened because I will have erased it from my memory. It was ugly. It was hideous. It was imperfect. There were penalties. There were injuries. There were concussions. There were referees as always. But you know what, Judd? It does not matter. This was one of those games where the Vikings should come in and win by any means possible, get out, never talk about it again, and bring a 6-2 and record to Kansas City. This was a bridge game, right? It's a bridge game to the Chiefs game. It's a bridge game uh, to the Dallas game. It's a bridge game eventually post by to the uh, game against the Seahawks in Seattle. This was a game, and that's why I wasn't hung up on this game. The Vikings won, what, 19-9, right? It never felt like Washington had a chance here. And if, you, if you're the Vikings, as far as your win streak goes, keep it intact. I don't care how you win. You did. You're right. It was ugly. It was boring. It was Thursday night football in a nutshell. And then guess what? Nobody really got hurt, right? So you leave this game in pretty good shape. You've got 10 days off. Post game, Mike said that he's going to give the players the entire weekend off now. They're going to go back to work on Monday and begin preparation for what's going to be a very intriguing game a week from Sunday in Kansas City. This was a bridge game. I, I can't tell you how little I care about the aesthetics of th this game. I'm just glad for the Vikings' sake, for Judd Zolgad's sake, and Matthew Collar's sake. I'm just glad it's done. Yeah, me too. So, uh, and it was kind of every criticism of Thursday night football, you could wrap it up into this. I mean, it just wasn't as sharp. The teams didn't look as well game-planned for each other. Um, the players were a little out of control at times, and the referees were also a little out of control at times, throwing flags all over the place, but I guess that's what we've come to expect. And Washington's offense was actually moving the ball a little and then couldn't finish any drives. And once Dwayne Haskins came in, it was over. And, and that was it. And I have very few complaints or very few things that I want to say, Judd, this is a big concern because this is the way it went tonight. Not because I don't think it's a good win. It is a good win. I mean, they more dominated Washington than it looks in the stat book. They could have easily scored on the final drive and covered for all you gambling addicts out there. And they could have scored a couple more times in this game. I mean, Diggs with the early fumble, that could have been another score. Like, this was much closer to a blowout than a 10-point game. That's just kind of how it ended up working out. And in my mind, the Vikings took care of business, did exactly what they were supposed to do, and now you move forward. However, this podcast cannot go three minutes, so I have some things to talk about, Judd. And I think we need to start with Xavier Rhodes. Because it has now reached sort of fever pitch of rage, if that's a thing, on Twitter every time they throw at Xavier Rhodes. And what has been interesting to watch throughout this season is that teams come out now and they say, we are attacking Xavier Rhodes. We are going to go after him. Yep. Case Keenum was going after him, continually throwing at him. And there are times now where receivers, all they have to do is run a hitch route. And they're wide open every time against Xavier Rhodes. He can't press the same way he used to. And I know that he has an issue with the penalties. I know that Mike Zimmer has an issue with the penalties. 
but I think he's committing them. I mean, I, I think that he's played this way for a long time, but the league has said, you know what? You just can't really do that anymore. You just can't grab guys like he's been doing. And even if you look at them and say, ah, that one was ticky tacky, or I don't know about that one. The fact that he's committing a important penalty per game when the most per year is usually like 10 or 11. And he's already up to seven, I think in eight games. Like that's a lot of penalties for one player to be taking. And I think it's time to just split with him and Mike Hughes, like try to keep him as fresh as you possibly can on whatever are left of his legs and keep Mike Hughes out there quite a bit because I think Hughes right now is probably the better NFL player. Yeah, let's unpack his his Rhodes' struggles because they certainly didn't start uh, tonight. They were accentuated again tonight. Correct. But they were bad on Sunday in Detroit. They've been bad. I mean, this has been a this has been a continuing developing. I think is the best word to use. Problem for two years now, a and to unpack the story of Xavier Rhodes and his decline, it's twofold. One. Early in his career, he was watched very closely and, f and drew lots of flags. He established himself eventually as an elite corner, and because of that, got the benefit of the Dolphin officials and didn't get flags. We are now overcorrecting, though, in this day and age of what's a PI and what's not, and so the flags are coming back out. But that does not excuse the fact that this guy continually comes out and doesn't look anywhere close to being healthy. He is, he is off receivers by three yards way too much, and so... Is the officiating for Xavier Rhodes and the Vikings cornerbacks and the way they play a problem? Yes, absolutely. But Rhodes has gone from being probably three years back a top five cornerback in this league who you could assign to every receiver who was an ace receiver and he would do a great job and now he can't and he's being exposed. And this is a problem and here's where it lies. This is a problem that as the games get more important is going to become a bigger problem here. And... And I do think if you if he was still playing elite football and getting flagged a ton, I would say fix that, fix the correction there, do that, and you're going to be fine. But he's not. So I think you're right. And Zimmer loves the kid, I think. And he continues to defend him, and he can defends him, and he complained tonight that the P.I. that was called on Rhodes on the sideline in the corner of the end zone uh, was a ticky-tack call that he would have challenged. He said, except for the fact that, and this is typical Mike Zimmer, he said, quote, I got an email this morning that says they don't overturn those things, so I didn't bother. And he, I believe his words were, the hell with it, I didn't do it. Now, that being said, go back and watch that play, Matthew. He rakes the receiver across the face mask. I'm sorry, but in 2017, 19, or 2015, that's going to draw a flag. So what I would do is this. If I was Mike, I would take a very deep breath. I would call Rhodes in, and I would say, Xavier, I'm not benching you, but what I am going to do is I'm going to reverse the snap count a little bit, and Mike Hughes is going to start in 10 days. We're going to prepare him to start in KC because I'm sorry, but the two things put together, which are the fact that he is handsy as hell and he, again, raked a guy across the face mask, that's a penalty, and the fact that his play is declining calls for something to be done. The status quo here can't continue because if this team continues and – and hopefully for their sake, they're going to, to play really important games, this becomes a major problem. And again, it's a two-year problem. It's not a Thursday night problem. It's not last Sunday. It's a two-year um, problem that we've seen getting worse and worse. And it goes back to even, I mean, last year he's injured a bunch. Mm -hmm. And then in OTAs or minicamp, whichever it was, we see him limping around the field, 
still seeming to have the same injury issues. And then in Arizona, against Arizona here in the preseason, he gets smoked by a receiver I've never heard of. And certainly you could downplay that and say, oh, well, it's just preseason. He's probably not trying. But it kind of looked like he was trying, and he just couldn't do it. And that's been a lot of the story from Xavier Rhodes this year, and the numbers absolutely back it up. I mean, it's by far the worst quarterback rating into his coverage that he's ever had. It is his worst PFF rating. He is one of the worst corners in the league by PFF right now. Like It is a liability at this moment between the penalties and between the success that other teams are having driving their offense down the field with Case Keenum against Xavier Rhodes is something we would not have expected to say two years ago, but that is the truth at this moment. And if they don't solve that problem, I feel like, Judd, that you know, Amari Cooper, Tyreek Hill, like you're going to face Tyler Lockett, some very good receivers yep. who are going to have good days against this Vikings defense. And early in this game, they really did show some weaknesses against what Washington was doing. Like They did not exactly shut down Adrian Peterson running the football. They didn't get quite as much pressure as you would expect on Case Keenum. He was able to find receivers down the field. And there was one play where... Uh, uh, Trey Waynes was able to knock it away, but the receiver almost mossed Trey, Trey Waynes, and he's been attacked quite a bit and successfully so uh, recently as well. The, the only thing I regret from this game, Judd, is that Case Keenum got hurt and we didn't see the second half because I've got to wonder how it would have gone. They were really moving the football against this Vikings defense, which, again, I'm not going to super overreact to, but coming off of... The game in Chicago where an opponent was able to control the game yep. by throwing a lot of short passes. Yep. Matt Stafford moved the ball against this defense. And here we saw Case Keenum move the ball against this defense. I think what we're looking at is no longer a top five defense necessarily, but maybe more from like five to 10, 10 to 12, I somewhere in that ballpark. I it doesn't seem the same. I, here's my sense. I think the next 10 days uh, in Egan are going to be spent uh, looking at very closely at more than personnel, but also schematics. I sense the teams are starting to, and, and this happens to, uh, to Mike, not often, but it does happen. He eventually goes back to the same defensive scheme so much that they get exposed, and then he counter-adjusts. Yes. And yep. I would not be surprised that, that if, while the players are uh, relaxing and enjoying themselves, until Monday, if he goes back and looks at Detroit film, this film, there are certain things that I don't know it's the player's fault. I think it looks like it might be, but it's really not. And so there are certain things that I think he's probably going to, to have to adjust, and that especially is true, I think, in the passing game. Detroit found something because that was – Rhodes got – Rhodes didn't play well, and I thought had a especially bad game, but Wayne's got exposed in that game. Mike Hughes did. That speaks to a scheme. And so I'm not going to be surprised because if you go into Kansas City and half-ass that, you're going to be in huge trouble. So I think that there's probably some, and it's probably not going to be huge, but minor adjustments that Zimmer needs to make to counter what teams are doing. Because if Patrick Mahomes plays in that Chiefs game and it's looking more, more like he might, and you're not basically at full strength as far as your scheme goes, you could be in for a long day. Yep. Nope. I agree. And, you know, th this game had some good playmakers for Washington, but not great playmakers like Kansas City has. Yep. And if they find ways to get the ball into those playmakers' hands, then, yeah, you're talking about the potential for 
a big day in Kansas City and, and maybe another shootout in, in that type of game. And that's something that we just don't expect, but I could much more foresee after a game like this where for an entire half, Case Keenum controlled the football on this defense, which was not my expectation coming in, but really kept things close in a game that in terms of talent was not close at all. Um, now, so Haskins comes in the game and it's over. I, and you knew it was over. I knew it was over. Oh, yeah, this Look, game was I mean, he, I don't oh. know what he'll be. There, I've seen rookie quarterbacks, Jared Goff's a good example, look abysmal and then turn out to be really good. He might be really good. I don't know. But I knew coming into this game, in this environment, in this situation, that he did not have any chance to bring them back. And he showed it with a high throw that turned into an interception when his team was only down seven points with two minutes left. I mean, just handing... After the Vikings went for it on fourth and inches deep in their own territory. Showed and, their confidence, I think. And Kirk Cousins didn't get it. It showed their confidence that Dwayne Haskins was not going to score on yeah, them. They were right. That they were going to be able to shut him down. Now, let's switch over to the offensive side um, before we finish maybe with Adrian Peterson and revenge games and all sorts of things like that. I just want to say that for the last couple of years, we have been talking about how people around the league and people in this organization for the Minnesota Vikings believe that Stefan Diggs is a number one wide receiver, that he is a dominant player who cannot be stopped, whether he's got Adam Thielen or whether he does not have Adam Thielen. Stefan Diggs has long believed this, that he is Antonio Brown level skill without Antonio Brown's circumstances, and he is absolutely proving that in these last few games. He has been unguardable. They knew they didn't have Thielen for the second half of last week's game. It didn't matter. Yep. They knew that Thielen wasn't going to play coming into this game. It did not matter. He is one of the best route runners, the best contested catch guys in the NFL, and this is why when teams started calling the Vikings and saying, hey, Rick, uh, what you want for that wide receiver? He told them to go to hell. This is why. Because it doesn't matter if he has a number two wide receiver or not. Yep. And, and it's not to disparage Thielen, who I think is a great, great player, a pro bowler. There's no doubt about it. One of the best receivers in the league can do so many things. But the games where Stephon Diggs has been out, Adam Thielen has not flourished. And the opposite is not true. Diggs has dominated. And you know what? He fumbled. I think it's random. I think fumbles are mostly random. I saw the same. It needs same, to stop, though. It absolutely needs to four stop. Four of them but, this year, three it, lost. It's not freak out worthy. I saw the same fumble that happened in Chicago called not a fumble in another game. The same exact play. Sure, but you got to clean that. I mean, of you can't lose you that ball. Of course you can't lose that ball. But I don't think it's something where you say, like, oh, he's he's got this big problem or something. I, I think it was he put both hands around the ball, and then yep. when he turned back, somebody just poked it out. And then after that, he goes, seven catches on seven targets tonight oh yeah no he's fantastic but he this is the reason why after uh week four and that debacle in chicago when he basically disappears you find him two hundred thousand plus dollars but you also say consciously we will change things he's worth changing things for they definitely have altered their their thought process because i, I think the scheme is probably fairly consistent the use of that scheme has been altered and changed i think because they looked at Diggs and said you know what damn it he's right and it starts with him and so the fact that he wasn't catching the ball or or getting the ball enough or the fact that the ball was not being essentially moved through the air because the head coach kept saying i love the run we've got to run 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 and Diggs said you're crazy they weren't in a position to be like you know what stefan shut up he's too good to say that yep and so and and Again, that does not mean 
that that Giants game, I, I think he only caught three passes. So it wasn't, okay, we'll consciously, the next game to uh, pacify you, get you the ball. But that was the game when it started, and they said, we've got to pass the ball. And think about it. Since that game, Matthew, so the last four games, look at the fact that now Cousins is, Cousins looks great. Cousins, and he can throw that deep ball. Last two games, he's throwing that deep ball to Diggs. Diggs makes great catches, but guess what? Those are the passes Kirk can make, too. Yep. So, so, so if Stefan Diggs gets credit as being, I don't know, the third offensive coordinator or co <laughs> or co coordinator, I don't care what you call it, but there was definitely a sea change, I think, with this team that was born of the fact that there are probably smart enough people in that building to say number fourteen one is probably right, but number two, he's too damn good to tell him, "I'll go away, kid." Thanks a lot. And he was right. Absolutely. He was 100% yep. right. And all of the all of the um, gnashing of teeth from the summer about him being concerned about, which proved to be right in those first four games, is now basically gone. The only thing that I'm curious about now is you're about to embark on a stretch of, I think, three of four games being very tough. So how do you do now? Because this is the last four games, you've been great. But those are against four probably fairly flawed teams. I don't think, I don't think Detroit's terrible. Washington's awful. But now you're going to play Kansas City, you're going to play Dallas in a primetime game, and then you're going to play Seattle. So three of those four games you're going to face tough opponents. So my question now is how do you do against maybe not elite teams, but much better teams? And tonight we can't really tell you much about that, but I can say that if the model for this offense is going to be focused around Stefan Diggs, that will also open up Adam Thielen, which I think it did a lot last year. I think teams put a lot of focus on Diggs last year, and Thielen was open all the time when they were using the passing game as a big part of the offense or a much bigger part of the offense. And then going back to that has been the main reason for their success of just deciding that we're going to work the ball to these two great wide receivers the most. That's where our offense starts. And then we can work the run to finish games like they did tonight. And I, it's just a much smarter and much more modern model than it is to try to run first and establish the run. And the thing is, too, that even without, quote, establishing the run, you have established that Delvin Cook is unbelievable. And yeah. every team knows that he's unbelievable, so you don't even have to hand it to him early. You, they just have to think you might. And then we see people biting and things like that. And with Diggs tonight, the catch he makes where he burns Josh Norman – Nobody even had to bite. I mean, that's just one-on-one. -on -one. I'm better than you. I'm going to go up and get that ball, take a tough hit after. I mean, these are the things that we were saying last year. Throw the ball to these guys when they're covered. It will be fine. They will get it. And Kirk has done that these last few games. But you're right that we're really going to start to find out as we go forward mm -hmm. whether they continue that. And I would also like to say one for four in the red zone cannot happen. It just can't. You kept the other team in the game. Now, oh, one of them is yeah. bogus at the end. So it's yeah. really one for three. Yep. But – the red zone, Kirk Cousins, it's not always been his best strength. Um, so, all right, before we wrap up, Adrian Peterson comes back, plays okay. He gets some cheering at the end. He was hopping because his ankle was so was, screwed up, and he still insisted on playing. He was clearly hurt, and it looked much more like an old-time bruiser, like Leroy Horde running, than it did Adrian Peterson. Yeah. And Kirk Cousins gets a win against his former team, revenge games, and so forth, I guess. 
anything to take uh, away from those things? Nah, Kirk, you know what? Kirk told me, I asked him specifically, I gave him two chances to talk about how good it, it felt to beat the team that didn't believe in him. And you know what, Matthew? This was just another game. Just another day at the office. Sure okay? it was. Nothing special. Uh, when, when his uh, former teammate who was with Philadelphia ripped him, nothing special. Nothing special at all. It's just another game, okay? <laughs> Yeah. Nothing gets to me, yeah. despite the fact that I once looked at, at a reporter and yelled, you like that, or looked at my GM and said, how do you like me now or something? Those times are done. Now I'm just now Kirk's just an even keel guy. And last year, I believe, referred to Washington as my other team or whatever. The, the team I used to play. Of course on, he I loves it. He, just tell the truth. Yeah, it's not a bad thing to say it. It's not a bad thing to say it no. means something. And Stefan Diggs said, yeah, we all knew it meant something to him. And look, I mean, these are two franchises just in very, very different spots. And if Kirk Cousins stays with Washington, my guess is that he is a below 500 quarterback because there's not much to work with over there at this moment. And with Trent Williams sitting out, I mean, they've got the one receiver, McLaurin, and he's good. But other than that, it's like uh, not much going for you when Adrian Peterson is your starting running back. And they've got almost nothing on defense. I mean, the defensive line did some good things tonight for Washington, and I still think that that is the biggest concern for the Vikings when they play defensive lines that have explosive players. If they can't just scheme away from them, especially if they get in third downs or short yardage situations like we saw them fail in tonight, that could still be an issue. Uh, but as far as the, the motivated Kirk or whatever it is, People are going to look for this. They're going to hunt for it. They're going to say, ah, oh, he's motivated this year. He's got that chip on his shoulder. But I really do think that this is we are seeing right now a combination of a very easy schedule recently yep. and the combination of uh, an offense that has figured out what this guy does well. And even when he doesn't play super well, which I did not think it's weird when the box score is so much well, different than what you saw. Well, the completion percentage is fantastic. It's, well, the completion percentage is wild. I didn't think he had some special night. But he but, really didn't. But he said he didn't. He didn't. No, he didn't. Right. You're correct. No one thought he had a special night. And yet he still had great stats. They put up numbers on offense. They moved the ball. They won the game. I mean, that's that's kind of the test of the Stefanski system, I think, is for him to have a game where you're like, eh, not so great. Oh. But he still ends up with a win. Whoa, 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 whoa. It's the Kubiak system. I know and the Stefanski's calling the play. Yeah, I know. And I he's know. done a great job. But this is look. This offense basically now for the last four games has simply made sense. That's it. It's made sense, which is fantastic. But they're doing everything that we thought that they, or almost, I shouldn't say everything. They're doing a lot of things that we thought would make sense. And a lot of things that Kirk was put in, in a position a year ago to be the star of this offense. He's not. The star is, the stars are Cook, Diggs, Thielen. They're yep. the stars. Yep. But he's now been put in a great supporting role that basically brings out his strengths. All of it makes sense. A lot of football is not tied up in common sense. This offense right now, I think, is very much tied up in common sense, and it's thriving because it, of that. Yep, it absolutely is. And I would just say that, you know, big picture, 6-2 and two is probably where we would have had them, maybe 5-3, and 6-2. And, yeah. and they are in great position to be in the playoffs to compete for a division title. I mean, this is what you would have asked for. So even though the earth felt like it was being sucked into the sun a few weeks ago, um, this is what they thought they could do at this point in the first half. And the second half is really going to tell us who this team is. Can they compete for a Super Bowl? And if you're having that conversation, can they compete for a Super Bowl? You're in a pretty darn good spot. So 
Thank you uh, for listening. That's it for us from inside of some management box here at yeah, U.S. Bank Stadium. Box in the Viking, whatever it is. Yep. All right. And uh, two to four Friday, and then we get the weekend to sit and watch football. That'll be fun. So uh, ten to noon, vent line. Don't forget. Oh yeah, that's right. Friday, yeah, sure. You're on some kind of show. Calls. I think I'm on a very important yeah, show. I guess I leads did hear off that. the programming day for uh, the all new score. North Somebody mentioned it. I think there was a company email. All right. Bye. Later. Later.